Welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news, recorded live in the offices of PW in Manhattan. My name is Heidi McDonald. I am the co-editor of PW Comics World, our week uh, bi-weekly newsletter. Uh, I am also the graphic novels reviews editor of Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of uh, The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Check us out on Facebook at PW Comics World and on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Well, as you can tell, we're missing a voice this week. Calvin yes. is out of the office and is allowing Kate and I to fly solo so we can cover all the things Calvin doesn't like. So, uh, this week, <laughs> I, just kidding, we might slip a couple in, but this week on More to Come, we have New York Special Edition, uh, the little Comic-Con in the dystopian sci-fi world, um, <laughs> new owners for Tintin, the summer of the reboots, or is it, um, a fun home, triumphs at the Tonys, uh, news briefs in a radical noon Calvin's Not Here format, and do and do not do of social media. <laughs> so kicking it off special edition kate you were there well i was there saturday i was there saturday well uh, i got there around mm, three thirty, four o'clock saturday okay. after the uh, what big festivities there were had mm-hmm. sort of started to tail off but there was still plenty of time on the floor um it was an interesting choice to have it out on the pier i guess that's all they couldn't swing javits this year um but it was interesting because it was like there seemed to be this disconnect between what was there and where it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I think it's saying it was an interesting choice is is a bit of a misnomer. I'm not sure that Reed Pop, which put on the show, really had a choice in venues. Um, I'm not sure why they weren't at the Javits. Uh, I I had heard it was an availability issue, but you know, once you're done at the Javits Pier 94, where it was held, is the uh, second biggest venue in New York, and like really that place is a second yeah, biggest it's venue actually, in New York. Uh, you know, Torsten Adair, who uh, frequently writes for the Beat and uh, seems to be the man who knows more about square footage of convention centers than any other living human who does not work for convention centers, uh, has a post on the Beat that's very detailed about it, and. Like, the North Hall of Javits, where Special Edition was held last year, is, uh, I think, 80,000 square feet, whereas Pier 94 is 120,000 square feet. So it's actually significantly larger than than the North Hall. Yeah, but Pier 9, I mean, the way they laid it out, they u- they wasted large amounts of that floor space. They, um, they had this huge entryway that I think they were expecting way more people than actually came. I, uh, yeah, I... And... Uh, Toward the back, they had a meetup space, which was all very nice to have a meetup space, but it was huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like they really didn't end up using that much more space than they would have had at the Javits. Well, I think that one of the reasons they didn't use it is that there weren't a lot of exhibitors there. There was really only two or three publishers there. Valiant had a good big setup. Um, I know Z2 Comics was there and um, maybe some other ones, but <laughs> there really weren't a lot of exhibitors. And, you know, let's be honest, this kind of sh- the show is sort of the... Um, you know, pre-New York Comic Con, let's just get a lot of artists out and, and put on just a comic show. There were no nerd liberties. There were no video games. It was just comics. And there was a huge line. I got there at um, 10.30 because I had a panel at 10.45, eye-opening session, as we like to say. 
and there was a huge, huge, huge line to get in. I mean, it was at least uh, half a mile down the road. And, wow. But once they got in, they went straight to the queue to buy New York Comic Con tickets. And, I mean, I wrote this in my own piece for the beat, but, uh, you know, people, you just paid $20 to get into uh, this show so that you could buy tickets to go to another show, whereas the people who are at this show are kind of just as good as the people who are at that show if you like comics. Now, if you like video game displays and, you know, seeing celebrities come out on stage and do shtick, well, then, yes, New York Comic Con is better, but... Well, I think I think the thing is that New York Comic Con has a lot more programming, and I don't just mean non-comics programming. Yes. So if you love panels, that's true. You yes, want to be there for like yeah. a million comics panels, then like this fills a different need. Like I, I have to say that I would, were I in the position of not being someone who was given Comic Con tickets, mm-hmm. um, and I had not been able to snag a New York Comic Con ticket. Yes. I would not have been satisfied with a special edition ticket. No, that's no, that's true. That's you true. You know, I mean, I would have enjoyed special edition after I got out of the line. I would have gone to see the artists. I would have maybe picked up a poster, picked up some comic books. But I, I you know, I mean, I would want to go to New York Comic Con, not for anything other than comics, but right. just because all that lovely, lovely comic programming. Yeah. Well, that's the, yes. No, the programming is a very good, very good point that you bring up. Um, and I, I'd like to say I, I do think New York Comic Con's programming is improving quite a bit. I mean, we've had quite a few, you know, little subtle digs at it <laughs> over the years, and it's it's definitely improving. And uh, I mean, I I think the origin of Special Edition actually came at New York Comic Con a couple of years ago when they had Artist Alley in that North Hall, and everybody went and said, "Oh, it's so nice." I mean, they just went there. I believe it was three years yeah. ago. And everybody was like, "Like we love this. And then Reed got the idea, well, why don't we just do that? Why don't we just do the Artist Alley? And I think that worked great. Yeah. There. Here, it was less inviting just because of the space. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think you have to separate the concept from the space. I think the concept is fine. I think the space was kind of uh, hilarious. <laughs> if you like open transformer boxes and you know wiring that doesn't really go anywhere uh dripping ceilings and giant air duct tubes that look like they're from the nostromo i mean it definitely was pretty cool if you were into steampunk or mad max well i I think (laughs) yeah (laughs) It, it it because it was this dark windowless void yeah um it felt less welcoming yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, I mean, that was a bit of a problem. But, I mean, they really did have, a, while small, a very nice artist alley that had a lot of people in it who you've actually heard of. Yeah. Many of whom will be uh, interviewed at the end of this podcast. So oh, listen in. Oh, very good. That's right, Kate. You were there to snag some interviews, which I, I didn't bother to do. So, yeah, so well, they're, you're much better than me. They're my uh, traditional mini interviews at cons. So just sort of... A snapshot of of uh, what various different people who I think you have heard of, listeners, think of their special edition experience. Well, there you go. Uh, more to come on that. But, more to uh, come on that. Yeah. Stay I mean, tuned. I, stay tuned. I, I was at special edition just on Saturday. I mean, I have to admit, it was kind of a really great time to hang out with people. So for myself, uh, I did a panel. Calvin did a panel. And 
There were some audio issues with the paddling. Uh, <laughs> Needless, why am I not surprised? Yeah, but uh, you know, there was a, it was a very challenging. I, I have to say, I talked to a couple of Reed Pop people off the record. They were very much aware of the challenges of the venue. I mean, yeah, it's better than no con. Right, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think they did the best with what they could do. And um, I think people did have a, I think people mostly had a good time there. I mean, I heard sales were great for some artists and artists alley. Elsewhere, maybe not so great, but, uh, you know, for some publishers. But, um, you know, I, I think, you know, last year's Special Dishes problem was that it was the same weekend as two other shows. And there was kind of some caught feelings about that this year. It was actually the same weekend as Grand Comics Festival, but that's a little indie show. So, yeah. so there wasn't it's as kind much of crossover. A different yeah. Audience. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of cons with an audience, listeners... Um, if you are tuning into this on the first day that it's out, tomorrow, Saturday, will be FlameCon oh, yeah, Flame at Prospect Hall in Brooklyn, um, New York's first LGBT Comic Con. Uh, yes, that's right. And it sounds very uh, exciting. Uh, I will not be able to go. So, Kate, maybe you can. I will be, you know, raising the uh, PW Comics World flag Excellent. there and reporting back. And meanwhile, I'll be in Long Island at Eternal Con. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the con crush of summer continues and uh, separating even the PW staff. So, uh, well, these are cons, thank God, that do not involve us getting on the Lucky Star bus or, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Taking our chance or, on Amtrak. Or just the special bus. But uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, special edition, uh, dystopia. Anyway, uh, big shock, shock, shock news this week. I mean, oh. so dramatic, <laughs> so unexpected. You're um, never going to guess. You're never going to guess. But uh, if this had been a court or a drama, you would have said, that's far-fetched. Um, but Tintin, the great comics character created by Hergé, otherwise known as Georges Remy, probably the best known character in the Franco-Belgian comics tradition. I mean, and easily one of the top five comics characters in the history of the world. I mean, he's right up there with, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse, who I know isn't a comics character, he's a cartoon character. But anyway, he's one of the world's most recognized characters um, and in Europe, just huge. And Hergé was, uh, Hergé was a huge creator hugely influential now he had an interesting life in that he was married for a long time and then towards the end of his life uh he was divorced and he married his assistant who he'd been having an affair with for a long time and when he died uh he she took over his estate she inherited the tintin estate and she remarried. She remarried a man much younger than her, who was also English. So just to put that in there. Oh, and, dear. And the name of the company running uh, the Tintin licensing publishing empire is uh, Moulin Arts. And uh, over the past few years, Moulin Arts, which I'm probably mispronouncing, so please forgive me, Francophiles, has become uh, well known for draconian practices. Uh, they are very litigious. They like suing fan clubs that use Tintin art in their fanzines. Um, you know, they are also very controlling over the publishing rights. And in general, they've become very, very much disliked uh, amongst the comics fans. Yeah. Now, so against this backdrop, there's a small Dutch Tintin club that published some images of Tintin in their fanzine, and Moulin Arts sued them in a Dutch court at The Hague. Heaven forbid yes, anyone yes, use yes. a picture Tip- in a fanzine. Very, yes, exactly. Uh, one of many such suits that has gone on. And just towards the end of the law, the proceedings, the 
defendants <laughs> pulled out a piece of paper from 1942 saying that Hergé had signed away the rights to Tintin to his publisher, Casterman, and he did not have the rights anymore. So, uh, you know, bombshell. There's silence even in this podcast. Uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, this is like suddenly, you know, someone coming out with a piece of paper where Walt Disney you know, says, oh, by the way, uh, uh, you know, Jack Warner, you own Mickey Mouse or something like that. But uh, the court ruled... Uh, against uh, Moulin Arts, saying that they didn't have the rights to sue the fanzine well, for Tintin. And, and this just tells you what comes out of being uh, unnecessarily jerky. <laughs> yes! <laughs> to, you know, your reading public. Because if they hadn't sued, this paper never would have come out. Yeah, but, I mean, now this raises the question, do they owe back royalties to the company? Do they... I, I, I have, uh, you know, not being a, a, a French speaker, I have not followed up on the uh, press of this since it broke uh, just yesterday, actually. And, uh, but, you know, needless to say, it's a bombshell. I oh, mean, yeah. there's very few times that you say bombshell. Um, and it actually know, is. Yeah, it really is a bombshell. I mean, some have suggested that it was during the war so that uh, there may have been some kind of, um, you know, appearances that were kept up. But that may not be a document that's actually standing um, it was apparently provided to the defendants by a Tintin collector who would prefer to remain anonymous. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure there's more to come. I'm, I'm not sure that this is, by the time you hear this, perhaps more will have been, been revealed. But, you know, just thinking that some collector was sitting on this this letter for all this time well, and, you know, I biding could, his time. I could see why. I mean, I could see at first you think, oh, I'm going to respect the family. I wouldn't want Hergé to be deprived of his royalties and whatever. And, or, you know, I want his his widow to be provided for. And then when somebody starts suing the fans and finally right. you're like, oh, that's too much. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, you know, when the when the heirs have become such jerks about it all and very much against the spirit of the of the work, um, I think some of the popular sympathy went against. You know, normally I'm a creator rights yeah. per- type person, but, um, you know, in this case, I'm like, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> So, yeah, for sure more to come on that. And, uh, you know, we'll keep you updated with the the sure-to-be fascinating uh, evolution of that case. Um, So let me see. What else is going on? Well, it's the summer of the relaunches, the reboots, the re-whatevers, as Marvel and DC Mm. are are both doing something. Uh, Kate, have you been keeping up? I know you've been very busy and your comics reading has been set back a bit. I have been reading, but I see the thing is that DC has been keeping a very tight lid on this. And so it's only this past week this stuff has has come out that you really know where it's ending Mm -hmm. um so i i am sort of aware from the comics pipeline basically what happened but i haven't had a chance to read this week's comics yet so i'm not that far behind but i'm just enough behind that i like can't speak to it having read it um it does seem like unsurprisingly uh it was not a a whole bunch of characters enter only one will leave really in the end because a whole bunch of them lived and got their own planets and will live happily ever after until they show up in the next comic yeah, need them yeah apparently at the end of uh at the end of the convergence like uh somebody came out and said oh, you know what all of you have fought very well and what we're going to do now is launch your book with a new number one so <laughs> yeah or or alternately if we don't want you right now we're going to put you into the warehouse, I mean your own planet, until we need you again. 
I mean, well, you can live out your happy lives forever. Yes. And a, a similar thing is happening across town at Mar... Well, it's not across town anymore. Sorry, across the coast. This DC is now in uh, LA. But, uh, you know, Marvel just last week kind of uh, launched the opening salvo of their uh, initiative, which is called Eight Months Later, which sort of sounds like one year later, later. and also five years later and other uh, things that DC has done. So um, copycat... But uh, they claim it's not a reboot. They're very firm. It's only a relaunch. Well, I think that's kind of honest of them because God knows there have been enough times things were just relaunches and we were told they were reboots. So, you know, I mean, good on them for being open about it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, that's not the term I'd use, but uh, I think... It's also more like some of these books are continuing past Secret Wars, and then there's going to be... Well, the one book was announced is that Brian Bendis is doing Iron Man. So, boy, that is innovative and new. I uh, didn't see that one well, coming, but... Well, actually, actually, it kind of is, because Bendis is a totally different style and generation than the people who have been writing uh, Iron Man for the past few years. And uh, Bendis has his own opinions and take on Iron Man, which is different from theirs. That's true. So um, this could be going in actually a very different direction for the character, even if he, too, is an old Marvel hand. Right. But, I mean, he certainly has written the character in his long Avengers run. He he did. And the... Okay, I'm going to say this is an Iron Man geek. Okay. When Matt Fraction took on the character after Iron Man 1, he took the character in a very different direction from the way uh, Bendis and previous writers had written him. And so we already know how Bendis writes Iron Man, and it's different than the Fraction-inspired Iron Man. Right, right. So we're going to be getting something different. We're not sure what it is yet, but it'll be different. Okay, well, you know, there you go. One vote for uh, all new, all different, Um, you know, Iron Man. Uh, so, you know, I haven't even really been able to keep track of this, to be honest. It's like, I have been sort of kind of following Secret Wars a little bit, but all the battle worlds are so weird to me. You know, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to follow. And because they, you know, they staggered it. I'm very simple and stupid. So I can't really follow things, uh, you know, that don't happen all in one month. So uh, I, I have to really, next time, I maybe read up on this and, and try to find yeah, out Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think it's funny that Marvel and DC did two huge quasi-relaunch events, and they're basically the same event. (laughs) Um, Hey, hey, let's have some uh, shadowy force to make them all fight. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, there is some, uh, used to be a lot of crosstown talk, so uh, even though that's gone, I think that... uh, uh, some, you know, a great, uh, there are, <laughs> uh, imitation is a serious form of flattery. Um, you know, speaking of the reboot, the relaunch, the newness, the new lure, or world, now, the, even though we haven't read the comics, we have read the ads in the comics, because DC kind of mm. uh, created some fan ruckus last week with, uh, with a, a new ad, ad space. <laughs> yes, um, apparently, the first rumblings came when uh, artists and writers were told, hey, for your next issue, be sure that your pages can be split in half. And they said, what? Why? Oh, no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Answer, because Twix wants only half a page twice in order for the ad to be Twixier. Right. (laughs) And I don't know how much uh, DC got paid to make the comics Twixier, but basically what you get is half a page of comic, half a page of ad, and then... On another page, you also get half a page of comic, 
half a page of ad. Yeah, and uh, you know this is actually a uh, a uh, ad space that's uh, has a long history in comics. They've done this many times. You know, back in the day. When I started reading comics, they used to put little text ads at the bottom of every page, actually. So, you know, there used to be little ads everywhere, uh, any penny you could make. Um, my understanding, I, I snooped around a little bit. I understand that uh, a page ad in a DC comic might go for five figures. So uh, maybe it would be low, maybe it would be high, but somewhere in the five-figure range, perhaps. And um, I think the biggest problem with the ad is that it stars celebrity Nick Lachey. Does anyone in comics know or care about Nick Lachey eating a Twix bar? No. I I, I don't know who Nick Lachey is. That's right. But I, I think probably the whole point is is the the Twix and, and not celebrity. I think yeah. they're just being like, hey, we, we're, we're audacious enough to put a Twix ad on half a page. Ha Go us. It's Twix. Eat it. Yeah, but I, I you know, I think if it had been a nerd liberty, like had it been, you know, Neil Patrick Harris or somebody anyone who'd ever heard of. Somebody yeah. that resonated with the nerd liberty. It might sphere. have been yeah. slightly better. Yeah, you but know, on the other hand, it might maybe they wouldn't have done it because it would have smeared their reputation. Yeah, you know, I read uh I, I, I knew who Nick Lachey was a while ago, but I've forgotten, to be honest. So uh I, I that's the actual truth. Maybe it's just my memory. You know, this is something that the Steve Rotterdam at the Bonfire Agency talked about a long time, uh for a long time where they're talking about, you know, entries into the nerd space and how you should talk to uh, the nerd buyer and how not to, but uh, this would have violated that 91 ways from Sunday. So Yeah, um, and speaking of how to and how not to uh, market to nerds, uh, well, I suppose we better wait until the end of the well, podcast. Well, yes, you know what? Let's have some good, uh, we'll have some good good news here. Isn't that Fun Home, the uh, musical based on Alison Bechdel's uh, award, uh, award-lauded graphic novel uh has now become an award-lauded musical it won the tony for best musical it won a total of five tonys for it won for best book it won for best music and won for best director and it won for best actor with michael chaveras playing uh bruce bechdel alice's dad and uh bravo and I mean, apparently it was the first time that uh anyone had won a tony for best music where the songwriting team was both members were female. That's correct. That's correct. And, um, I mean, it was very, uh, you know, uh, probably the first base at a comic, but I don't know if, you know, Snoopy Come Home, you're a good band, Charlie Brown. I don't know if that ever won a Tony, but uh, it's a great show. I got to see it. Um, and it's so touching. It's so amazing. It's so moving. And uh, there's been a lot of talk on Broadway that its win is really wonderful just because it's a very daring show that its subject matter is not about happy people singing and dancing and, you know, well, I, it's, I think, it's very complex adult subject matter. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there are no shortage of Broadway shows about depressing things, but I think from everything I've heard about it, Fun Home is is daring artistically, yes, too. Yes, yes. It is not just a typical uh, post-rent speak singing aren't we cute oh yeah it they're actually trying new things it, it absolutely is the staging is very daring as well and um you know it's done in the round so you really are, feel very connected to this family as you see it but um 
you know, again, so I'm so thrilled for it to win. I'm thrilled for Alison Bechdel. I'm thrilled, so, you know, especially since her mother was a theater nerd. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame her mother died before she got to see this play. Uh, I mean, had she ever seen it, that would have really brought things full circle. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a really great win, I think. I won for our team. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so now, since Calvin's not here, we're going to do the briefs a little bit differently in that we're going to each do some briefs. And we're going to perhaps go into a little more depth than we would with our third voice here. Okay, so first off is Wicked and Divine, which has uh, just had its particularly shocking 11th issue, which uh, had, I believe, Karen Gillan, the writer, um, posting a YouTube video of himself gloating about how evil he is. <laughs> yes. Because that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, has been optioned for uni- for television by Universal Television. And um, to much speculation about how it would be filmable, given that it is about um, 12 characters with divine powers, which makes it a little hard to film. Um, but it is a award-winning and much beloved, especially by me, comics so you know and it will be of of limited length he's already planning how he's going to end it so i can see how it would make a good television show or miniseries if you could figure out how to film the thing right right so you know this will be something we'll be watching and there will be more to come on that um also something more to come (laughs) that is a little less happy but fascinating and we'll want to hear more about is china has cracked down on quote-unquote violent Japanese comics. Um, They have blacklisted 38 works of manga and anime that have, quote-unquote, severely improper content. Oh, my goodness. Including Death Note, Terror in Resonance, and, um, let's see, how many of us? A whole bunch. And in a speech recently... Uh, President Xi Jinping urged artists, authors, and actors that their work should present moral and socialist values and not carry <laughs> the stench of money. <laughs> now, uh, when you know when did this when did this come down? When did this drop? Uh, this just dropped. Um, well, not speak, but the uh, crackdown just came um, mid-May. Because it's funny because uh, China was the spotlight publisher at the recently concluded Book Expo. And, um, you know, there were some protests outside when talking about their free speech or lack of saying. Yes. Um, So apparently they started the crackdown uh, in May and they only made a news announcement about it uh, last Tuesday. So that's how it's shown up in the news now, because now we know it's happened. Um, And uh, and 29 Internet companies have been punished for hosting improper comics and animated work because that feature violence or terror because apparently you can't be scared yeah. in China yeah. anymore yeah. Yeah. at least if you're Japanese well I, I you know I picked up a book at Book Expo that they were giving away in the enormous Chinese pavilion which was uh, the biggest booth I've ever seen and, and had all these bamboo plants and really resembled more a garden that you wandered through and it was a great place to kind of take a load off and relax because it was quite empty but they were giving away copies of a uh, biography of fearless leader in many different languages, and I, I picked up a copy of that. So, uh, you know, uh, there is much to be feared from Fearless Leader. 
And they also cracked down on scantily clad models at a cosplay convention this May. Okay. Well, you know, that's great. And (laughs) (laughs) that's I'm being sarcastic, of course. Yes. And so um, Japanese news agencies have been complaining that this is censorship and anti-Japanese bias. Mm hmm. And um, yeah, we'll see more to come. But I was like wondering, what are these very violent? Oh, Death Note. Oh, oh, so Death Note is among the books that was the, the shut yeah. down? Yeah, so so big titles, big mainstream wow. titles are wow. getting the axe. Well, you know, the internet is prescribed in China, um, and many other things are, are under control, yeah. and, uh, you know, people find ways to get around it, but not really. It's, um, yeah, interesting times there, interesting times, but, you know, give us back our Death Note. Uh, that is the minimum requirement of a free society. <laughs> Um, well, my my little brief is that you should check out this week's issue of Publishers Weekly. Well, by the time you read this, it'll be, uh, you know, going off sale. But it is up online, and we have our annual retailer survey written by Shannon O'Leary. Every year, Shannon talks to a whole bunch of retailers about what was selling, what isn't selling, trends in the store. And uh, she finds that uh, the uh, state of the people is good. Uh, basically, the State of the Union is good, and sales are up this year. Like, last year was a little bit of a... Uh, a little up and down for comic sales. Uh, the beginning of the year was a little bit rough, but then picked up like gangbusters as the year went on. And 2015 began with gangbusters. There was a great holiday season. And among the books that are mentioned, The Wicked and the Divine, actually. Uh, you know, Image is still slaying it. Although, at special edition, I did hear a few people talking about how there's so many books coming out from Image now that nobody can buy all of them and that we are going to start to see a little attrition there. So, Well, I think... I think Image has always had top books and mm-hmm. books that are not top books. Right. And I think there will still be the same number of top books. There will just be a larger number of not top books. That's right. That's right. But, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people have been promised the... Uh, the world. Well, they've been promised the image uh, I- image income, you know? And, I mean, it still is... It still takes a little while to build up to that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it takes a while to build up to that, and I think Image is trying to eat more market share and is yes. succeeding. Yes, but whether it'll be fast enough for some people's expectations, I don't know. Yeah, but um, um, you know, they certainly listen. We're not putting down Image. No, we no, talk about it no. all the time. How much we love them, and you know, even if these books, some of them are not. Uh, you know, sales are falling off a little bit. Guess what? They're still really good books. I mean, they're by far, to me, the most interesting publisher in the top five. But, um, you yeah. know, no offense to any of the other publishers I'm saying, or my tastes, all right? Yeah, I and, mean, there have been some interesting books coming out from yeah. some other ones, but I think I think Image is certainly leading the way right now creatively. Yeah, and for creators... Uh, especially uh, since uh, Vertigo has dwindled somewhat. Yes, yes, the dwindling of, of Vertigo. But, uh... You know, I think there's there's definitely more to come on that. And, uh, you know, but I, I, if you read this retail piece, I think you'll get a very nice snapshot of where we are now. And, um, you know, this is a uh, tangent, actually, and it's not on the story list. But, well, uh, again, especially it should. I spent most of the time just chit-chattering off the, off the record with people. But uh, somebody was telling me about in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, there's a comic shop called Tea House Comics that's that's uh, owned by a woman. It's uh, opened up about a year ago, and her mother works there. And, uh, you know, you go in, and there's this, this uh, you know, older woman telling people, like, oh, you might like to read uh, Iron Man, and, <laughs> and so on and so forth. And, uh, I, you know, I want to find out more about this, this store. It's the best name ever, Tea House Comics. And, you know, that just shows. It's, 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 there's still, we, there should be more retail outlets opening up. Um, but you know, there are, there are new comic shops opening, uh, all the time. 
uh, you know, not hundreds and hundreds, but a little one here and there. And I, I think they add up, and I think they make a difference. Yeah, uh, I actually spoke with Locust Moon. Yes. I, they were, they're not on the interview here, but um, it was interesting because they had the big little Nemo book, mm-hmm. which I had never seen in person before. Oh, my God, before. it's gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And people were drawn in by the little Nemo book, found they couldn't afford it. And then the other Locust Moon books are just so different mm-hmm. that they just kind of like bounced off. And so he was like, I have sold very little. Uh-huh. Really? Interesting. And he said, That's, I don't know why. We normally sell more. And I was thinking, I think it's the Little Nemo. I think yeah. they should have like had some Little Nemo posters or postcards or something yeah. so that the people who can't afford the huge Little Nemo can get a little Little Nemo. Right, right. Well, it certainly is, uh, you know... T-shirts, man. T-shirts. It is. And it's such an incredible book that, you know, when you see it, you do just want to save all your money and save up to buy it. So, um, And I think I personally, and I think a lot of other people would have, after looking at that and been like, I don't have three digits to spend, would go, I will buy a poster. Right. Or I will buy a T-shirt. Or I will buy a postcard because it's awesome. Yeah. Um, So merchandise. There you go. Well, you know, do's and don'ts of comics retailing do's and don'ts and we're gonna go there right now. yes we are well there was an article well it's actually a storify by deb aoki a frequent publishers weekly contributor and she's the queen of storify nobody mm-hmm. knows how to do it like she does and god bless her for doing it but she had one that was on the do's and don'ts of social media for yes. our creators and um we can expand upon that yes well i mean what was her main her main takeaway was uh don't just show up today and expect us to follow you <laughs> yeah, uh, her, her main takeaway was like, don't show up on Twitter for the very first time, immediately spam immediate p- million people saying, promote my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an- like, who are you? And, oh. and, and you know, I mean, I, that, that's a good point. But I think there are a lot of other things that you shouldn't do on the internet. That's too. true. One of the other ones that Deb brought up actually is something that I get all the time, which is um, people suddenly tagging you on uh, Twitter and saying, you know, please retweet my Kickstarter. Please retweet my my promotional tweet. Yeah. And, you know, kind of guilting you into retweeting. And, um, you know, listen, as I said, I have a kind heart. You know, I like to be a nice person and help everyone out. And uh, But I, I, I can't just retweet everything because that does imply some sort of endorsement at some point. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so you know, it, it's not always, sometimes it becomes annoying, let's face it. And a lot of people on this store, if I talk about how annoying that becomes. Yeah. Um, and that is an annoying thing. But there are other annoying things that you should not do also. And I'm sure we can think of a few. I, I know. Well, let's see now. What is another annoying? Well, Kate, you seem to have. Well, one that you should never, ever do. And I've seen a number of uh, seasoned creators and authors do it. And every time they do it, I think first, I think, what are you doing here? And then I think, that was really dumb. <laughs> it's, it's this. Don't pull an Anne Rice. If somebody is reviewing your book, your comic, whatever, and they write a review that is not positive, don't show up in the comments. Oh, for God's sake. I know that's terrible. They do that. Oh, it's, God. Just don't do it. If, I mean, if they, they say a blatant lie, if like they say, oh, it has a tentacle monster who ate the girl and doesn't have a tentacle monster that ate the girl, you can show up and say that. But that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, like you, you don't show up and be like, why don't you like my comic? 
all that does is make everybody think that you're a jerk who has boundary issues. Like, <laughs> like, let it go. Yeah. Let it go. I mean, it's hard to do that. And I mean, I think that people on the internet do kind of take advantage of that a lot of times. You know, this is why I stopped doing reviews for the most part. It's because they do. They always show up. You know, they show up in the comments at the beat and... Uh, then you know, they whine. They whine. You know, my guideline in life is don't say something to don't say something on the internet you wouldn't say to a person's face. I mean, that's just how I have to play it. Yeah, you know? but I mean, but I mean, you know that they could see that review, and yeah, don't say anything you wouldn't say to their face. But at the same time, like you put your work of art out there. Yeah. If someone is not making a a personal dig at you, but is speaking about your work of art. You just have to let it go. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of this, I mean, I know there's a couple of creators in particular that, that you know, we're not going to name, but are really bad at this. And yeah. they've been told, you know, everyone who loves them, tell, as people or as creators, says, don't do it. Don't go there. But, you know, they're just, it's a compulsion that they have, and it's very negative. It's very bad for yeah. them. And it's very bad. And not only does it make you look bad, but I just think it's horrible to be, like, reading your reviews and, you know, not it, being able to let go of it. It's bad for you personally as a person but it also it's also very unpleasant for the fans mm-hmm. who yeah. a lot of the time when you when this nonsense happens it's not even a completely negative review right. it's like oh, there was this one case where an author who will remain nameless um uh, a friend of mine had two years before this guy showed up in the comments two years before said well it was a really good book. Um, it didn't have as many non-white characters as usual for him. <laughs> but, um, you know, it it still was not, like, horrifically racist in the way of a lot of p- other post-apocalyptic novels. Right. So that's all. That's all. Mm-hmm. He shows up in the comments. Oh, dear. Two years later, being like, didn't you understand that my main character was an eighth uh, Native American? Oh, for God's sake. And, like, everyone was like, we, what are you doing here? Right. This was two years ago. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah, you got to let it go. Like, if you don't have confidence in your work, then, you know, don't do it. Because, uh, you know, people are going to... Now, I will say the other thing. There are a lot of very bad comics reviews out there. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not a paying position. Nope. Everybody does it for free, except for PW. We do pay a little bit for reviews. But, uh, you know, it is, it is, and, but there are obviously a lot of trollish ones out there. Yeah. And I, I mean, that are hoping that some of these sensitive creators show up. I, yeah. I, and, and I think a lot of people, you know, there's trolls on the internet who want to say horrible things to, to public figures, you know, and, and, and every, you know, every you, level. You got to let go. I mean, yeah. if, if they're saying something horrible about you personally, well, I still think you probably shouldn't engage, but that's a different thing. Right. But if, well, you probably shouldn't engage because uh, it is just trolls. I but believe in don't feed the trolls. Don't, I know don't, that's not popular but no that's my i mean I, I agree that not feeding the trolls when you can help it is is a good life goal yes. as far as you can follow it but you should specifically specifically let it go when it is not a personal attack when it's just some, someone right. writing about that thing you made right right because i mean you put it out in the public you just gotta let it go and you're gonna look like an idiot um 
And, you know, if you do that too much, you may end up like that one author who followed his bad reviewer all the way up to Scotland and broke a bottle of wine over her head yes. and ended up in jail. Yeah, Don't be that Don't guy. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, there was another uh, story of like a stalker author. This is not a comics writer, but it was an author who I kind of stalked her you know, stalked some kind of critic that she had, online critic. And then she proudly wrote an article about it in the newspaper, yeah, triumph- and, and you know what triumphantly it, saying how wonderful she was. Well, she she kind of admitted that she was nuts, and but it's kind of so was the reviewers. So, you know, again, they'll get locked into this this bitter uh, octopus versus whale struggle, you know? Don't do it. it. Don't not, do don't it. Don't do it. You know, let's see what else are, um, are don't do. Well, here's one. Um, don't show up. With and post a really, really long article or blog post about how your comic book, whatever, is incredibly wonderful and somebody else's comic book, whatever, is far inferior to yours. And that is why everyone should read yours instead of, oh, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever. Just don't do it. It's tacky. Right, right, right. Well, I would almost say that Fifty Shades of Grey is kind of a laugh line now. But, it is you know, a bluff line, but I mean, but I, but I don't think you're saying really. Let's, you know, yeah, I'm saying like whatever book it yeah. is, however much you hate it, yeah, like just don't do that. Yeah, don't like it's one thing for somebody else to say your book is better than that person's right. book, and if someone asks you, sure, but like these triumphal things where it's like this is what we need more of. By the way, by my book, right? You you just. You just sound tacky. Don't do it. Uh, it definitely, definitely is true. And you know, a lot of people. I mean, that I got to be they, honest. That's one I have fish for feuds. I haven't seen that one it's, it's quite a, as it's much. Feud on, fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't it feud is. fish. It is. Don't it do is. it. And uh, you know, I noticed that confrontation has become a lot less prevalent on the internet. Actually, at a certain level, just because uh, nobody has time for it anymore. I think. I think some people have finally learned from other people's experience a little bit. Now that they've seen other people go down in flames. Um. There, I, I would say that personally, I think it is a bad idea to, you know, um, well, oh, here's something. DC did it. DC did it. So I can use them as an example. <laughs> Sorry, DC, but you had it coming. So they decided they were going to have Bizarro mm-hmm. start tweeting. Oh, and so me am so surprised <laughs> yeah me am so surprised that bizarro made wank on the internet uh, yeah <laughs> um so somebody said uh are there any uh non-white characters in the bizarro book and the answer was bizarro am gray don't oh dear don't don't no 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 don't crack jokes about minorities and and ethnic groups and representation just like well that's you know goes back to the most famous panel in dc history (laughs) the one from green lantern green arrow where the guy's accusing them and says you did a lot for the green skins and you get a lot for the purple skins but what about the brown skins what have you done for us Uh, yeah like just leave that tweet until you stop tweeting in character. Yeah. Well, like, respond a, to it later. Well, I, I, there's a lot of, you know, I, I, I mean, it is a very... Um, I, I mean, you know, sometimes you misspeak. That happens. But to 
willfully just be like, ha, huh, I'm going to say something dumb about this. Just back away. Just yeah. don't do it. Just yeah. let it go. But you know, these... You, you, no, no good is going to come yeah, but of you, it. You know, these are definitely personal failings. I mean, these are more like just, you know, weaknesses and things that people... I mean, these are definitely big don'ts. Um, but, you know, I, I think what Deb was talking about specifically was just, you know, how to promote yourself using social media. Well, okay. Well, and, let's talk about that. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that what thing people are trying to do... I mean, one thing that, that kind of came out in the comments to hers is that um you know it's 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 like a cgi movie it's like the more uh insects you have attacking the hero and you fight them off then becomes another giant wave of cgi insects or clones or whatever it's like you know as soon as you think you've mastered facebook along comes twitter and as soon as you've mastered that along comes tumblr and then comes instagram and then comes you know so it's kind of like you have to be master of all of these mediums uh, at once actually she kind of had a point, and I think you can you can leverage one to work well on the others, although it helps to focus on one specifically, have more presence there. But it's just, just be there already. You don't have to be there for super long. Right. But have some content other than just buy my thing. Well, and you know, it doesn't need to be a lot. You can, you can post a few pages from it, one at right. a time, like, here's a funny page from my upcoming comic. People will look at that. They'll right. like it. Tag right. it with the things related to that joke. They'll go, aha, well, that's well, funny. Well, you know, I think that's a really good point because, uh, you, you know, Kate, I know you're not, you are not on Tumblr or Facebook so much, right? I, I, I run our Tumblr. Right. Oh, no, you're not on Twitter. Pardon me. You're not on Twitter or Facebook. But no. you do a brilliant job of running Tumblr. Yeah. You know, you speak Tumblr. I speak you know, Tumblr. But you don't, you know, but I know that you don't like tweeting, but I love tweeting. So, uh, you know, like I have a, you know, robust or what it is to a Twitter presence and you yeah. know, you're great at Tumblr and I mean I think that's a perfect example it's like you know if you suddenly told me that I had to be on Tumblr I don't I mean I didn't, wouldn't do so well and I don't do too well because I have a whole bunch of Tumblrs that nobody gives a crap about well there's there's something that that I think is a piece of internet wisdom that has fallen between the cracks these days that I, I say unto all you new generation of internet people lurk more <laughs> like seriously just don't say anything. Stick around for a week. Watch how other people do it. See what they do. See what annoys you when they do it. And then don't do that thing. Right. That's and right. I think sometimes when they were talking about it in the article or when other people talk about self-promotion, they make it sound scarier and harder than it is. They say, oh, put interesting content in there. And you think, I'm not an interesting person. How can I do this? And the answer is, it's actually pretty simple. You have created something you want to promote. So you have some content right there. Right. Mine it. Right. That's like, right. Like, uh, have some good quotes from it. Like, um, well, I link think, for funny pages yeah, but from you know, it. I, Talk I, about things related to but it. But I think the bottom line here is that you need to establish yourself. I mean, if you're a creator, I mean, I just got an email today that was sort of heartbreaking. It was like, like I want to write comics, but no, I don't have money for artists. But in Europe, they pay the artists. What should I do? <laughs> and it's like, well, you know what? You need to write something first and also learn how to spell. So, uh, uh, but, 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 you know, I mean, I think like what we're specifically talking about here is like, you know, people who are, you know, there's people who have incredible social media presences, like, you know, like, like uh, Kelly Sue, you know? Yeah. And I mean, she's you don't had, need that level of presence. Right. But I'm just saying, you know, Kelly Sue started from some, you know, a very, she built it up. It wasn't just, she didn't, you know, spring like Obama, uh, you know, launched, and also uh, Caitlyn Jenner, both, you know, millions of followers within 30 minutes, okay? So I'm just saying, it's like she started 
uh, from, on Tumblr. She did Tumblr for a long time. And, you know, now she's used it incredibly successfully. And I think there's a fine line between um, communicating with your, your, you know, your audience and, you know, pontificating at your audience. And, I mean, I think that joining in and communicating and creating a community is really the best thing that you can do. And, it, and it's not easy at all, you know. And, I mean, I think it doesn't happen overnight. And you have to really be very cognizant of, of the steps to take to do it. Um, although there is another angle. That is, you also have to be careful going too far in the other direction, which is something that actually I talked about, well, my interviewee talked about with me last week when I was interviewing uh, Ngozi of Check Please. You know, her comic is entirely on Tumblr. She built up a huge following. She had a, a huge Kickstarter over $74,000 for this comic that no one but her fans had ever heard of. Um, and she was saying the only problem with being having a comic on social media with having a huge social media presence is you some people don't understand where those borderlines are mm-hmm. they don't understand that you are not their friend you are a comic creator and so you should not feel obligated to engage any more closely than you feel comfortable with right, right. that you should not that's not your duty your duty is to keep putting out that comic or that book or whatever it is you do and to engage with them as a creator. Yes, but I think. But you have to engage. But them I as think a creator. with some people, I mean, I think they're also, you know, people started out as fans on Tumblr. You yeah, know? You're a fan, I'm not but familiar. I mean, I mean, I'm not familiar with her story in particular, but you know, I'm guessing that probably she was, you know, started out on Tumblr, not being as known as she is now. No, you know? yeah, you uh, know, but, and I mean, but I, you know, yeah. I want to just want to step in here for a minute, and it's like, you know, I think that. That you and I are actually coming at this very different, different, like, I don't know, different orientations about it, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't fear social media at all. And yeah. I know that, you, and I'm not saying you fear it, but I think that you are much more cautious about it than I am. Yeah. Um, I think, but also I think that's the same reason that, like, a few weeks ago you were like, holy hell, what's going on on Tumblr? Why is it so scary? Mm-hmm. Because I think we're, like, because I came up in a fan culture that was very much like keep your boundaries right like separate out your fan persona from your real name keep them in two separate piles like don't worry we can keep everything from getting to your grandma um that kind of thing right right. and you know and and it infuriates me when i go on a tumblr and see all this great work and there's no way of finding it's not signed and there's no name on there but i understand that the uh, anonymity of it is something that is part of the value of it frequently it's pseudonymous which is a little different because it makes it easier to track back to your real name if you need it if you're like okay now i'm building a following but anyway i mean i think it's not that i fear it it's just that like it's all about how much of yourself you want to put out there and what parts of yourself you want to put out there. And um, I think you're right. You have to you have to give something. Yes. And, you know, you can choose to either be it to be your wonderful persona or you can have it be your work or you can have it be a carefully cultivated part of your persona as witness Mr. Gillen with Wicked and Divine right. who's like on there does not talk about his personal life or whatever but he's happy to be there to like post a a britney spears gift being like oops i did it again whenever his fans get mad at him right um 
you know, and like that's good internet, right? Like that's, that's, that's what you're going to no, follow. That's, that's very good internet. And I mean, I do think that there is kind of this. I mean, we talked about it in the the little bit with reviews. I do think that there is a sense of ownership among fans now that that you know you get much closer to people than you ever did before. But I mean, that was ownership on the part of creators, right? Too. Right? Right? But I'm I'm just saying. I mean, I think that you know this divide is is it's. You know, I think we were talking about, I, we've talked about this several times. It's like where people are like, oh, well, on the internet, you know, nobody cares. And, and you know, even on Twitter, they're like, oh, well, maybe we should shut down trolls. It's like, yeah, guess what? The internet is our life now. We go on it to order our food. We go on it to order our clothes. We go on it to commuting. You know, I'm waiting to hear if my, my as I write this, my cousin is in labor. And there's a Facebook group for the family where we're all updating each other. Yeah. You know? So, in yeah. the olden days, they probably would have called me. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it is like the um, U.S. government is just starting to realize that you can't, in cases of cyber stalking, you can't just say, well, just get off the Internet. Right. Like, it doesn't work like that no. anymore. And, you know, listen, I would say to people, I think that this is vanishing. But, you know, there's still people who are very proud about not having any Internet presence and not having any any websites and not having a Twitter and not having any kind of footprint at all. And, you know, that is going to vanish. That's I, like, oh, I like walking everywhere. That's fine. You can do it. But, you know, it's think, not effective. I think the basic thing you need is you need at least a website. Yes. You need somewhere when people Google you, they can see a list of what you've made and where to get it. Yes, and what absolutely. the next thing you're making is. That's the bare bones minimum. And a lot of authors don't even have that. Right. That's true. And, and that's foolish. Yes, that's very foolish. And, you know, I just, I Google things a lot of the time and sometimes I'll find just a, uh, well, it used to be just a MySpace page, but you know what? They purged them all. All <laughs> of that is gone. Everything that you thought about was gone. A, a surprising now, so number of so, indie creators don't even have that. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I mean, have a little something, even if it's just a deviant art page, just have something so that we can, you know. So people who want to find your stuff can find you. That's it. Exactly. So that might be the biggest social media faux pas of all. Not having any. Well, anyway, you know what? Let's move on. And Kate, I think you were at Special Edition and you had some chat. And uh, so let's hear what they had to say. Okay. So um, coming up, we have Phil Foglio, Colleen Coover, Fred Van Lente, Joel Jones, and Peter David. Hi, I'm at Special Edition NYC 2015 with Colleen Coover. Um, can you tell me about the con for you this year? Uh, well, it's been very nice. We uh, came in with a bunch of stuff, and uh, everybody's been coming by and picking up and buying them, and now we have less stuff. <laughs> so you're having a good sales year? Yes. <laughs> and also, everybody's been super nice. This is actually the first time we've tabled in New York. Um, we've been to NYCC before, but we've never had a table. So this is good. This is good to have a table where people can come find us. So, do you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners about the uh, special edition Comic Con experience? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's nice. It's nice. You can uh, you can see a lot of artists here, and it's not as crowded as NYCC. Thank you. There you go. Weekly Comic World's More to Come, uh, Publishers Weekly Comic Book Podcast, and uh, I'm talking to Peter David. Uh, can you tell me about 
how special edition has been for you this year? Uh, this? Yeah. Oh, it's been going very well. I've uh, encountered a lot of uh, fans who are very enthused about my work, supporting both my comic book work and my novel work. I really couldn't be happier. Great. Uh, is there any particular project that you're promoting this year? Oh, God, I have so much that I'm doing. Uh, probably for Marvel Comics, I'm heavily promoting the uh, my work on the Secret Wars crossover. I'm doing uh, Secret Wars 2099, and I'm doing a series called Future Imperfect, which is interesting, considering that 20-some years ago, I was writing Future Imperfect in 2099. So I don't know if I should be proud of my consistency or worried that I'm in a rut. <laughs> I'm also heavily promoting, in terms of novels, uh, Artful, my sequel to uh, Oliver Twist, and my new Halo novel, Hunters in the Dark. So, uh, how have sales been this year at Special Edition? Uh, sales have been okay. Um, people are buying some of everything. I've made a few hundred dollars. I mean, the thing is, when I come to these conventions, I don't really come just to sell stuff. My main reason for coming here is to meet the fans. I sell stuff so that I can get some you know, walking around money, pay for the hotel, pay for dinner, you know, so that I don't come here and it's basically costing me a ton of money. I'm not a retailer. I'm not here to turn a profit. I'm just here to try and break even. Well, so then how has your uh, fan interaction experience been this con? Oh, it's been great. I mean, I've had a lot of people... First off, I've had people come up to me who had no idea that I wrote novels, which is interesting because then I've had over 100 published. I've had people who were fans of my novels who didn't know I wrote comic books. That's really been part of my strength, that I get my work all over the place and to so many different audiences. It's always really entertaining when they find out that I do things that they were interested in and didn't realize that I was writing them. Well, I didn't realize that you'd written for Young Justice. I did. I wrote four episodes for the animated series, two in the first season and two in the second. And do you have anything about your uh, New York Special Edition experience that you would like to share with our listeners? Yes, if you haven't come, then come and buy my books. Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm here at Special Edition with Fred Van Lente. And uh, can you tell me how is Special Edition 2015 going for you? It's going very good. Uh, it's a local show. It's the hometown crowd. So uh, you saw my voice is shocked from the number of people I've been speaking to. But you're selling books, meeting fans, like, giving out signatures, and usual Comic Con uh, dance. Any particular book you're promoting here this year? Not really. I've got a whole smorgasbord. I have a new edition of Action Philosophers, which is the history of history's alias brain trace, uh, told in a. Uh, their lives and thoughts told me hit the humorous pop of fashion. It's going from Dark Horse. Here with my Magnus Robot Fighter collaborator, Mr. Corey Smith. We're selling robot fighting books. No robots were actually harmed in making this comic, however. Okay. Upset about that. So, how are sales going? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, nice and steady all day. And is there anything you would like to share with our listeners about the convention going experience here? Uh, it's a little out of the way, but it's worth the trip. Okay, thank you. No problem. I'm at Special Edition New York uh, 2015 with Joelle Jones. Uh, can you tell me about how the con's been going for you this year? It's been going really great. It's my first time here, and uh, it's bigger than I expected it to be, and it's just been really fun. 
Um, how have sales been? Really great, yeah. Do you have anything about the special edition experience that you would like to share with our listeners? Uh, it's just a really like uh, artist and creator friendly show. Uh, everybody I know has had just a phenomenal time. Thank you so much. Hi, we're at Special Edition uh, 2015, and I'm here with Phil Foglio of Girl Genius. Hello. And um, so can you tell me a little about how Special Edition has been for you this year? Um, well, so far it's been really nice. I'm from uh, Seattle these days, so everybody seems mostly just astonished that I came all the way out here for this. Um, it's been very busy. Sales are um, sales are a little slow in some respects, but that's usually the way it is at the beginning because people are walking around and they don't want to carry like 20, 30 pounds of books. So usually before the place closes, there'll be this frenzy of people going, Oh, I need this now! Ah! At least that's the lie we all tell ourselves. <laughs> So have you been here for last year's special edition? No, this is my first one. And do you have anything you wish to share with our listeners about your convention experience? Oh, gosh. Well, um, eat before you get here. 